Okay, we are going to be looking at the gift of prophecy this morning from Romans chapter 12. And last year we finished up our series on foundations, and this year we're looking to formation, as in how has God formed us to serve Him and serve others. So, Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the power of it, for the presence of it. Lord, for the encouragement that comes from it, we ask, Lord Jesus, that as our hearts are open to you, that you would speak to it. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at uh, the seven gifts that are listed in Romans 12. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn there as a reference or your digital Bible. Uh, welcome as well to all of those of you that are online. And I'm going to talk specifically this morning about the gift of prophecy, which is listed in verse 6. Um, but before I get there, let me sort of give us the broader context of the various categories of gifts that are given in the New Testament. Give us kind of the lay of the land so that it's not jumbled in our mind and so that we have some clarity. Now, the Apostle Paul was given great insight into how the body of Christ worked. He was given definitional power as he was planting churches and as he was just viewing just the, the majesty of God's church and, and how the body worked together, the Lord gave him insight into four different categories of giftings. And uh, I'm going to show you these four categories, and they're based on the Greek words. And our English language translates these four categories with the same word. Uh, so it's, not, it's easy to lose their distinction or to think that they're the same gifting, but they're not. So let's dive into this quickly. Um, the first category is one that we're probably most familiar with, and that's the charisma gifts. And that's given to us in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, where Paul lists out the distinctive expressions of the Holy Spirit. When we have the red carpet call out, maybe the Holy Spirit will speak to the service leader about specific things that people are walking through and how they need prayer for that thing. Well, these giftings from the Holy Spirit represent his supernatural power. And as you see there in verse 4, I've highlighted in yellow, that word for gift in the Greek is charisma. And so that's not natural charisma, but charisma or grace, charis, from the Holy Spirit, favor, an endowment from the Holy Spirit. There are nine of them. We cover them in E3. I've just underlined them there. Some of them, of course, are wisdom, knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, various kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. So this is the first category of gifts that Paul calls out. Second category, again, based in the Greek, is the melos gifts. And this is in the latter part of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and this refers to the eight organizational gifts. So there in verse 27, Paul says you are Christ's body and individually members. Right there, the Greek word is melos. And then he talks about how are we different and how are we members of it. And then he lists these eight different organizational gifts. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healings, helps, administration, and various kinds of tongues. So now we have another picture of how the body of Christ works. A third picture is given to us in Ephesians 4. Again, it's Apostle Paul that's defining this for us, and these are the Doma gifts. This is the fivefold office that's mentioned here in this passage. Again, if you look in verse 8, it says that when Jesus ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts. Now note, in the 1 Corinthians 12 passage, the word gifts is used in the English, but the Greek is different. It's not charisma here in Ephesians 4. It's the word Doma. 
from which we get the word dominion or from which the word we get to be commissioned. And so when the Lord ascended on high, he commissioned men and women to walk in these offices, to walk in these leadership positions of apostle, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Typically, these are associated with full-time workers. And then the final category, which is the focus of our series on formation, comes from Romans chapter 12. And this is the proxies, proxy gifts, not proxy, but in the Greek, I may not be pronouncing it accurately, but in verse 4 it says, as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, that Greek there word is proxy, okay, proxis. And this is a very powerful word because the word speaks to how do we do things practically. Maybe you've heard the word orthodoxy, right? We want to be walking in orthodoxy, which is right doctrine. Orthopraxy is the practice of right doctrine. So here's this word here that's used by the Apostle Paul, and he says we don't all have the same practice. In other words, we don't approach problems the same way. We don't solve problems the same way or how we go about things. And so these seven gifts that are listed in Romans 12 are a bit like a spiritual personality test, kind of like the DISC test or the Myers-Briggs that we're familiar with, and it speaks to how we're wired. Every single person in the body of Christ falls into one of these seven or more gifts. And so this uh, identifies for us how we're motivated, how we're wired, and sometimes these seven gifts are referred to as the motivational gifts. So here's an illustration of how it works out. If we were to visit someone in the hospital that was just laid up in bed, and let's say seven of us, each representing one of these gifts, we're part of this group, here's what each one might say to this person. The person with the servant motivation says, oh, while you've been here, I brought your mail in, I fed your dog, I watered your plants, and I washed your dishes. The person with the teaching motivation said, says, I did some research on your illness, and I believe I can explain what's happening. The mercy motivation says, oh, I can't believe to begin to tell you how I felt when I learned about you and how sick you were. How do you feel now? And the person with the giving motivation says, do you have insurance to cover this kind of illness? The leader says, don't worry about a thing. I've assigned your job to four others in the office. The exhorter says, how can we use what you're learning here to help others in the future? And the prophetic motivation says, what is God trying to say to you through this illness? So you see how these are complementary gifts they represent kind of the, the motivation, the perspective that we naturally carry. And as we're going through this series, identifying yourself, oh yeah, this is where I'm strong. This is where I really feel is my lane. It's so cool that when you bring all these seven gifts together, they represent God's image and heart. And it helps us to understand ourselves and what gives us most joy in life. This is how we feel most effective and alive in who we are. If you're an otter, don't be a sea lion. If you're an eagle, don't be a chicken. If you're a rabbit, don't be a cat. And we build up the body by serving each other in the image, the practice in which God has given us. So in light of these four different categories, the apostle Peter gives us this encouragement. He says, as each one of you has received a special gift, serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, so that manifold grace means that 
every single one of us has a, a mix of these different gift areas. So maybe in the charisma gifts, you have the gift of healing. Maybe in the Milos gift, you have an administrative gift. Maybe in the Doma gift, you're called to be an evangelist. And in the motivational gift, you have mercy motivation. So you can see how there's a mix and match going on. And God has made you just the way you are for his delight. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay, so this gives us a bit of the lay of the land, how Romans 12 fits into the other categories. And now we're going to zero in specifically on the gift of prophecy. When you drill down to the original language, the definition behind this word is given as follows. And I'm just going to read this because it's very comprehensive and helpful for us. And maybe will stimulate our thinking. Prophecy is a discourse emanating from divine inspiration and declaring the purposes of God, whether by reproving and admonishing the wicked or comforting the afflicted or revealing things hidden, especially by foretelling future events. Prophecy is used in the New Testament of the utterance of Old Testament prophets, of the prediction of events relating to Christ's kingdom and its speedy triumph, together with the consolations and admonitions pertaining to it, the spirit of prophecy, the divine mind to which the prophetic faculty is due, of the endowment and speech of the Christian teachers called prophets, and the gifts and utterances of these prophets, especially of predictions of the works of which, set apart to teach the gospel, will accomplish for the kingdom of Christ. I kind of like how these definitions are written in high English. It allows you to feel the soaring nature of this gift of prophecy. But from this, we can say that the gift of prophecy can be divided into two arenas. The predictive or prophetic nature of God and the truth-telling nature of God. God tells us about the future in order to prepare us, to warn us, activate us, awaken us, like what Jesus told us in Matthew 24 about the last days, we now have a record of his words. And so as we are experiencing the last days, we're not caught by surprise, but we're mentally and emotionally prepared because Jesus spoke prophetically ahead of time so that our hearts could be readied. I think about Agabus in the early uh, church, and he prophesied there was a coming worldwide famine. And so the church was able to prepare supplies and resources for what that would look like when there would be that shortage of food. Agabus also prophesied to Paul about his imprisonment when he was to go to Jerusalem. So predictive prophecy is very, very powerful. And it, it fortifies us, it protects us. Now in its unsanctified and devilish form, prophecy is known as fortune telling. And of course, we want to stay away from that because that's inspired by evil spirits. But in its holy and sanctified form, as an inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's known as future telling. Now, the other aspect here that I've got up on the slide is that God is also a truth teller. God exhorts us. He encourages us, prunes us, corrects us, rebukes us, challenges us to be in sync with him, to separate light from the dark, to divide truth and error, deception and reality. This is why 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The inspired word of God 
guides us to that place of walking close to God, being intimate with Him, pointing out what's wrong, what's right, how to get right, and how to stay right. The prophetic gift is deeply engaged in foretelling. These two branches of prophetic ministry, future telling and foretelling, can be summed up in this way. The burden of prophetic ministry is to be aligned with God. It's to be aligned with God. That's the heartbeat. Now, note something really interesting in this passage from Romans chapter 12. Why is prophecy in first position of the seven gifts? Why is it in the position of first mention? Because prophetic ministry is a plumb line ministry. It's where we need to start. God needs to be our reference point. A car out of alignment cannot drive straight. It veers to the left or the right. Alignment is key to staying on the road, avoiding accidents, and arriving safely at our destination. And God does not want us to be a car wreck. He wants us to thrive and flourish and be filled with peace and joy. But to experience that, we need to be aligned with him. And so here are some examples and themes, burdens that are typically associated with this prophetic office. The prophetic heart asks, are we aligned with God's word? Where do you spend your time? Are you being transformed by the renewing of your mind? One of the most precious gifts that you have is your mind, is your thoughts, your ability to communicate with people and to communicate with God. This is where we fellowship. This is where we get to know him. And no wonder the enemy is coming like a flood and attacking our mental health. The enemy wants to disconnect us from God. But our mind is one of the most precious gifts that we have. Animals cannot commune with God because they don't have the mind that God has given to us. And God has given his word to us so that we can be renewed in our thinking, that we can comb out the lives that come against us. Do you believe that God's truth can set you free? Or is Oprah going to set you free? Or is Dr. Phil going to set you free? Or is the horoscope in the newspaper going to set you free? It will not set you free. It's the word of God that will set you free. God who created us knows our very nature. He knows our mind. He knows our heart. So we go back to the original manual, and this is what causes us to come into health. Have you experienced the joy of eating God's manna? Are you anemic or stagnant or dry because you haven't been feeding on God's word? Is your opinion formed more by God's word or by culture? So many of my friends in the United States are watching CNN and Fox News constantly. And you know what they end up becoming? Talking heads for CNN or Fox News. I don't want to listen to them. I want to be edified by the thoughts that come from the Word of God. Where do you get your arguments and logic? What shapes your opinion about a certain subject? Are you tethered to the Word of God? Are you clinging to the Word of God? Are you aligned to the Lord in prayer? What were the early church and leaders passionate about? Prayer was one of them. Acts chapter 2, the whole church was devoted daily to praying. Prayer is the boiler room, the war room, the living room, the emergency room, the perfumer's chamber of the church. 
No church can be properly healthy without it being a house of prayer. The only time that Jesus went into a divine rage, you could even say, was when the merchandisers and the marketers were in the church and he overturned the tables. He said, you have missed the point. This is to be a house of prayer. This is to be a place where the, the gates of heaven are open and people can touch the presence and the mind and the purpose of God. We're called to seek his face and to seek his glory, to enjoy God, bask in him. Did you know part of prayer is just enjoying God? It's not just heaping rocks into a pile. This prayer, after that prayer, after that prayer, after that prayer, and then we're done. No, it's just sitting at the Lord's feet and enjoying him, basking in him. That's how transformation comes, sitting in his presence, praying down heaven on earth, and boy, do we need heaven on earth. It doesn't take a genius to see that there's so much chaos going on in the earth. We need heaven on earth. Who's going to cry out for heaven to come on earth? But the church, you and me, one Christian leader asked a very convicting question. He said, if God answered all your prayers, would anything else change in the world but your world? Prayer allows us to open our eyes to see the larger needs. Don't let your flesh keep you from prayer. You know, it's so fun in the morning Zoom time. Some people are like, oh, man, it's hard to get up. I barely am awake, but I'm here. Don't let your flesh keep you from prayer. Subdue it so that you can live full tilt for Jesus. Are we aligned with God's holiness? Is your conscience sensitive to sin anymore? Is sin normalized for you because it's normal in culture? I could go on and on and on and talk about the things, sins that are normalized in culture and how it's come into the church and we've just sort of adopted the Babylonian culture. Where is the distinction? Where is the separation? Where is the consecration of God's people? Do you have a proper understanding of sin and how offensive it is? Why did Jesus go to the cross? Have you experienced victory over sin? There's nothing like it when you have dominion over sin. And sin does not have dominion over you. There's nothing like the exhilaration of having no fear of sin. No fear of sin. Holiness, beloved, is your friend and ally. It's not your enemy. Sin is a liar and a thief. Don't fall for its seduction and deception. It's like wine. Sin goes down smooth, but it bites like an adder. Are we aligned with his Holy Spirit? Do you rely more on yourself, your own instincts, your own reasoning? your own judgment than the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that the Holy Spirit is your helper and counselor, teacher, enabler, and empowerment? Jesus says, it's better that I go away from you. And when the disciples heard that, they were like, crestfallen. What? We don't want you to go. But it's better that I go so that I can pour out my spirit on all believers. You and I have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The greatest treasure. Paul says, this is the hope of glory. Christ in you, the Holy Spirit moving in you. Do you not get the apostles' passion and theology about the Holy Spirit? You read Paul, you read Peter, you read James, and their absolute delight in how they treasure the Holy Spirit. Have you ever had that feeling where all of a sudden God's presence lifts from you? 
And you go, Lord, may it never be. When David fell into sin and committed adultery, he said, take not your presence away from me. That moment of separation was just debilitating to David. It was paralyzing to him. And so when Jesus said on the cross, Father, why has thou forsaken me? That's a moment of shock that we don't want to experience. And the apostles have given it to us and written to us how precious and dear the Holy Spirit is. And are we superior to them? Are we more enlightened than them? Are we more intellectual and more evolved than them? Paul, the greatest theologian, wrote so keenly of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it was his love of the Holy Spirit that made him the greatest theologian. You think about Calvin, you think about Luther, you think about these giants. You know what? They're just downstream from Paul. They're just taking Paul's writing and explicating on it and commenting on it. They're downstream. Paul had that original revelation about the Holy Spirit. Why then are we up in arms about the Holy Spirit and wonder if he's still for today? Are we aligned with his presence, which I just touched on? What are you soaking in day in and day out? Is it his presence or the internet or TV or movies or endless scrolling on Instagram and TikTok? It's a rabbit's hole. I recently thought, okay, what's all this stuff about Instagram? I'm going to look at these reels. And boom, you can go 20, 30 minutes without thinking. It's so entertaining. There's so much stuff that's going on. But you can slide down into this rabbit hole, and before you know it, it becomes part of your lifestyle. Now, there's nothing wrong with it in moderation. But is it affecting your thoughts, your self-image, your aspirations, how you define and judge yourself? Are you ending taking up worldly values and constructs and arguments? Is there so much noise in your head that you can't hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Where is your zeal? Are you not taken with the most beautiful person to ever walk the earth? You know, like when it comes to dancing, I'm very shy in public. I'm a horrible dancer, two left feet, whatever. I wish I could be like Bruno Mars and breaking it down and just, I mean, I just think people who dance well, it's just so cool to be able to use your body and to express and it's just awesome. But I'm very shy when it comes to public dancing. In fact, I don't really do it. But when it comes to being before God, I love to express myself. If someone comes in here and one of your friends that you bring in and see some crazy dude up front, yeah, that's the pastor. That's him. Are you not taken with the most beautiful person to ever walk planet Earth? Are you so distracted with your worldly pursuits, your agenda? your own pleasure that God has become an add-on, just a supplement, just the garnishing on your plate. Where is the centrality of Christ in your life? Why are you so lethargic and passive? Why are you so low energy? Stop your dithering. Make up your mind and run after him. Be hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm. Where is your joy and excitement? Do you think that Jesus is boring? Do you think that church is boring? You know how many people are outside the church because they think that Jesus is boring, that church is boring? Oh, I've tried that before. Jesus doesn't work. I'm so scintillated and stimulated by just, oh, the glamour and the lights of the world. Give me that. I don't want church. 
I don't want the Word of God. I don't want prayer. I don't want worship. Heaven's going to be just this boring place where angels endlessly strum their harps. Do you think Peter and Paul and James and John could give up their jobs, their homes, their finances, their very lives because they were all martyred? Because Jesus was some boring dude? Are you kidding me? If Jesus is boring to you, then ask yourself, what am I missing? These are the kinds of themes and burdens the prophetic gift is concerned about. And it comes out in forth-telling and truth-telling. But also, I think about how Barnabas was, was dispatched by the apostles to go to the first Gentile church. And not only was it to call out, you know, the, the prophetic gift is, is meant to bring a true audit of oneself. To steer us back to God and take the swerving out of the car. But you know what? It's also to say, you know what? Your car is in perfect condition. Drive on. You've got a great car. And so when Barnabas went to this, this startup church that was happening among the Gentiles, who knows what he was going to see? Was it just going to be an atmosphere of chaos, no leaders, no good Bible grounding? But the scripture says in Acts chapter 11 that when Paul went there, I mean, sorry, Barnabas went there, he witnessed the grace of God and he rejoiced and began to encourage them all the more with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. You know, I get the privilege of going to churches and you know what? There's so many good churches in the nations. The grace of God is there. The Holy Spirit is moving. You've got on fire Christians. They're on mission. And Barnabas is one of the most famous prophets and when he went there, he saw the grace of God. He saw the Spirit of God moving. And so part of the prophetic gift is not only to call out those things that might be in deficit, but also to reinforce and to edify that which is happening by the Holy Spirit and that which is good. We know that Barnabas ended up planting one of the most influential, impactful churches because he discerned the grace that was working there. So people who have the gift of prophecy are motiv motivated this way. They're concerned for the sheep. They're concerned for the alignment. They're concerned for the spiritual condition. And Paul says that this plumb line ministry leads the seven motivational gifts. Now let me expand a bit <clears throat> on the prophecy side. I touched just a moment on the foretelling side. But on the predictive prophecy side. I want to share a word that I gave to the Tokyo church on New Year's Eve a couple weeks back. I've been working with the church there for several years now. And every year they have a New Year's Eve countdown prayer time. And so they asked me to speak anything that God was putting on my heart. And the Lord really quickened Luke chapter 8 to me and how it relates to the COVID storm that we're in. And I thought, you know, why should I share with the, with the Tokyo church and not share with my church? So it worked out perfectly for me to share it here. Now, you know, there's two famous boat stories in the Gospels. Most of us remember the one about Jesus walking on the water and then getting into the boat and then everyone is, you know, happy. This is the lesser famous of the two boat stories. And so as we read here in verse 22, 
It says, on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And you know, this is a picture of the church prior to COVID. Like, we're on mission. We're in the boat with Jesus. We're going to go to the other side. We are excited. We're doing things that God wants us to do. So yeah, let's climb on board and let's get in this boat that Jesus has bid us to. So the church is on mission. And then the scripture says that they launched out, but as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. Now before that phrase, he fell asleep, it says they were sailing along. Now it doesn't translate as well in the Japanese language, but in the English language, if we want to say that something is really going great, it says, yeah, we're just sailing along. Things are going good, finances are up, people are getting baptized, people are volunteering and coming into their giftings, things are just happening. But in the midst of that, the scripture says here that Jesus fell asleep and a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. This was an unexpected interruption. How many of us can say that COVID was an unexpected interruption? No one predicted it. Not the epidemiologists, not the social policy workers, not even the prophetic, prophetic voices predicted that this would happen. It was an unexpected interruption. And what came out of it has been panic. We see here in the story that the disciples, they were in a state of like alarm. What should we do? They came to Jesus and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. A spirit of fear came on them. Now, it's one thing to discern the situation that we're in. It's another thing to be overwhelmed by the spirit of fear. There's a difference between healthy fear and a spirit of fear. If I have a fear of heights and I don't want to scale 20 feet, that's good for me because it'll prevent me from falling off the ladder. If I want to get a really cool picture and I'm close to the edge, you know what? I should back away from it. That fear keeps me from falling into an accident. If I'm a little kid and I realize, oh, I don't care if the stove is hot or not, but you burn yourself once and then after that, you have a healthy fear of touching something hot. Those are good healthy fears. But a spirit of fear can come on us which paralyzes us. And unfortunately, COVID has brought us to a place for many of us where we have now assimilated a spirit of fear. Not fear, as in a healthy understanding of what we should do, wear your mask, wash your hands, be socially distanced. All those are good things. But all of a sudden, we've become hermits or we've become so isolated and it seems good on the outside, but actually in the interior of our heart, there is a spirit of fear that's taken over. God does not give us a spirit of fear, right? But of power, of love, and of sound mind. So the enemy has come in to exploit this dangerous situation and to put a spirit of fear on the body of Christ and people at large. So that panic set in with the disciples. But then in 24, it says that Jesus got up and rebuked the winds and the surging waves, and they stopped and it became calm. What a big verse. Only God can stop the storm. He's the one that's in control of time and seasons. If Jesus says to COVID, stop, it will stop. And a calm will come. 
And here is my encouragement to the Tokyo church, my encouragement to us. I believe calm is coming. I believe a season of calm is coming and the COVID storm is going to settle down. Now you might say, Pastor Rich, how can that be? We just prayed about this wave that's hitting the cities and, and everyone that's being affected. Part of the prophetic gift is not to just prophesy according to your eyesight in the now. It's to have the Spirit's mind and insight into what a future circumstance is going to be and to speak to that situation even though the current circumstance doesn't line up with it. If God is saying to COVID, if Jesus is saying to COVID, I am agreeing with him this morning, I'm lending my prayer and my voice with Jesus to say, COVID, stop and let the calm come. Can we say amen to this? It's a little bit risky for me to say this, that a calm is coming. But I've weighed this thought a lot in my spirit. Are you actually saying this, Spirit of God? I believe a calm is coming. And as quickly as COVID came, it could leave. Now, if the word doesn't prove true, I will definitely stand up and say I missed it. That's part of integrity in the prophetic ministry. But as quickly as COVID came, it could leave. But Rich, what about the other variants that might pop up? I don't know. Maybe they will be or maybe they'll just die because Jesus said COVID storm cease. Jesus said to them, the disciples, verse 25, where is your faith? But they were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? God is the Lord over creation. He's the Lord over every realm, every domain. And when he asked that question to the disciples, where is your faith? He was saying, where is your trust in me? Did I not say to you we would go over on the other side? But you were so caught up in the circumstances that you lost your focus on me. One of the things that God is pruning in us and wanting to establish in us is that we are not circumstantial Christians. Is God a good God on the days that you're in a good mood? And then God is not a good God because on the day that you are in a sour mood, please detach the goodness of God from your current mood. Because he is always good, he is always glorious, he was always kind, he was always merciful, no matter the storm that's going on in your soul. Amen? So God does not want us to be circumstantial Christians where we are just defined by what's in front of us, but that our eyes are upon him. And therefore, when he asked, where is your faith? He was teaching them and schooling them. You won't be troubled next time when you get in the boat and there's a storm because you have learned to keep your heart and mind in me. So I wanted to share this word with you because I had shared it with, this church in, with the church in, in Tokyo there two weeks ago. And I wanted it to be an encouragement to us, also for us to be pondering about this and maybe using it as a point of prayer as we continue to navigate this COVID season. But we come back to Romans 12 and this first gift that is listed by Paul 
And maybe as I've been sharing or as you've been thinking about this passage, you're thinking, yeah, maybe, maybe I have that prophetic motivation. Maybe that's part of my personality. Then be released in it. God wants to use you to build up the body of Christ in this way. And in the succeeding Sundays, we're going to hear more about the other gifts. And they're so enriching to us as the body. It is absolutely crucial, every single one of you, walk in your gifts that are listed here. To the degree that you do not walk in your gift, we are being robbed of your blessing. So please, please be liberated and say, yeah, this is what gets me going. I'm going to walk in this. This is my lane. This is my wheelhouse. This is how I bring glory to God and bless my brothers and sisters. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the revelation that you gave Paul. He had such insight into how the body of Christ worked. He had such insight into the individuality. He had such insight into how you customize the way people think and approach and serve. And we want to come into our full potential as Five Stones Church. We want to be optimized, Father God, according to the gifts and according to the grace that you have given to us. We thank you this morning. I speak your blessing, God, over your church. In your name I pray. Yes, Lord, we just believe in your power to take us from death to life. And, you know, it's in this life that we have these gifts and that God wants us to activate them and to use them. And, you know, I just love the challenge that, that Rich and, and God have put before us today. You know, if you are not using your gifts to further the church, you're robbing us because he has plans for those. And, you know, I was, I was really struck, you know, why do we use those gifts? And Rich mentioned, you know, harps in heaven. And I was reading uh, C.S. Lewis this week, and he has this great quote about if people think that the reason we want to get to heaven is because we're all going to sing and play harps in heaven, his, his comeback to that was those that don't know how to read adult books shouldn't talk about them. And I just thought, like, what a classic British scathing remark. <laughs> but... It's, it's so true. We're not doing this because we get a pair of wings and, and get to go play a harp in heaven. We're doing this because we know heaven is the place we want to go, but because by our actions we can bring heaven to this earth. We can open up his kingdom here on this earth. That is the actions that we do. And, you know, every day we have a chance, and, and that chance is to... To, to do what the Lord tells us and to open up that little bit of heaven above us. So I would just challenge you this week to, again, just, you know, really, really think about what your skills, what your, what are the things that God is wanting you to do? What is he calling out of you? What, what, what gives you joy? What, what do you find he gives you joy when you do? And it may not be the things you always intellectually thought you would do, but it's going to be the thing that he built you to do. So, Lord, we just thank you for just a mighty time of worship this morning. Lord, we just thank you for this team that just 
even as they were battling voices and everything else, Lord, just came and led us into your presence and, and just brought it down on us in the church and on you at home. And Lord, we just pray that, we just, well, thank you for the word that you brought and just the challenge that you've laid on us not to be, not to be cold, not to be lukewarm, but to be hot for you, Lord, to, to figure out how to every day put you at the top of our priority list and we know that is a process, but we know that you are with us and that you work in that process. And Lord, we just uh, pray that you would just identify to us the, the gifts that you have instilled in us and, and, the things, and lay on our hearts the things that you want us to achieve, Lord. Some of them will be scary. Some of them will be big. Some of them will be beyond us, but they are not beyond you. And so, Lord, we just ask for the faith to say, Yes, Lord, and your will be done on this earth. So, Lord, we just thank you, and we just pray all this in your name. Amen. Have a good week.